Hey, my name's Matt Kennedy, and this is the Steadfast Podcast. This podcast exists to use Bible study and theological teaching to encourage you to be steadfast in your faith. Thank you for taking time out of your day to check out the Steadfast Podcast. I hope today's episode is an encouragement to you. Hey everyone, we are now back. I apologize for a little bit of a detour um, that we've had the last little bit. COVID really hit me hard, and I was just down for the count for uh, over a week there. But we are back now, and we are going to get back into Luke chapter 7. Luke 7 has been a loaded chapter. We started with Jesus intentionally showing that his ministry was going to be for the Jew and the Gentile. Really, in other words, his ministry, him himself, was going to be for everyone in whom faith is found. Then in the midst of all the miracles, we have some guys who are watching, guys who are followers of John the Baptist. They go and they report everything to John. So he wants them to ask Jesus, Jesus, are you the one we've been waiting for? Are you the Messiah? I know I've mentioned this so many times it might be annoying by this point, but it's worth noting and worth remembering that not every event in the gospel accounts are chronological. They're often listed thematically. Luke doesn't give us in this section words or phrases that really link us directly to the previous event or events. So considering how Jesus had just spoken words of offense to the Pharisees, I don't know that one of them would immediately invite Jesus home for dinner. Though it is possible, of course, maybe one of the Pharisees wanted to investigate Jesus further. But what I'm trying to say is I am wondering if Luke has ordered it the way he has to continue to show us how Jesus is for everyone in whom faith is found. This time it has nothing to do with race, but rather the religious versus the non-religious, the high status versus the low status. Now, to show you what I mean, let us pick back up in our journey in verse 36. Quote, One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. End quote. So a Pharisee, a teacher of the law, has invited Jesus over to his house to share a meal. Now, inviting someone over for dinner may not be breaking news, but let's take a moment to remember some of the previous run-ins that Jesus has had with the Pharisees. Like in Luke 5, Jesus healed the paralyzed man, and he told this paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven. Jesus read the Pharisees' minds as they thought, who is this that speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? They were so suspicious of Jesus and he knew it. He knew what was on their minds. Also in Luke 5, the Pharisees questioned and accused Jesus when he and his disciples shared a meal with tax collectors and sinners. They didn't like the idea of someone who was calling himself a rabbi, who people were calling a rabbi, spending time with those who they had considered unworthy, like the tax collectors, like the sinners. They thought this was a group of people or two groups of people who were just too far gone. And if you just flip the page to Luke chapter 6, there are two different occasions the Pharisees accused Jesus and his disciples of breaking the Sabbath, once for eating grain and the other for healing a man. Of course, Jesus didn't break the Sabbath. We went into that in detail. But what we did see is that Jesus did not care one little bit about the made-up rules of the Pharisees. It wasn't what he was about. 
So by this point in the narrative, if I was Jesus, if I was Jesus, I would have had it with these guys by now. They're always accusing, they're always watching, they're always being suspicious, looking for a slip up, and frankly, they're always being jerks. But Jesus, being full of grace, accepted an invitation for dinner. Despite all the harassment the Pharisees are guilty of, they still have the opportunity to repent of their sins, to repent of their self-righteousness, and to place their faith in Jesus. Jesus was still for everyone who would believe, for everyone in whom faith is found. At this stage of the game, Jesus is knocking at the door of their hearts. While at least one of them is willing to open the door of their home, they kept the door of their hearts closed, tragically. The Pharisees were the religious leaders, the men of high status in the Jewish world. They had an opportunity to have Jesus as their Lord, as their Savior. They had an opportunity to find more than they could ever possibly have hoped for, yet they missed it. I believe in the gospel narratives, at least one Pharisee does come to faith, and that's a man named Nicodemus, and at least one Sadducee, a man named Joseph of Arimathea. We'll see later on in the story that both men will be involved in the burial of Jesus. To me, this is an action that when you consider the social cost, reflects faith. Faith was found in them. Now, hopefully there are other Pharisees and other Sadducees, other scribes, other Jewish religious leaders who open the eyes, who open the door of their hearts, and they follow Jesus. We just don't know. So this Pharisee that we're talking about in Luke chapter 7, he is at his own table in his own house with Jesus. There are surely other people reclining around the table as well, but the only people who are there are going to be the people who this Pharisee would approve of, who this Pharisee would consider worthy and righteous. So probably other Pharisees. In this scene, we see verse 37 and verse 38. Quote, And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. End quote. We don't know who this woman is. We don't know her name. We only know that she is described as a woman of the city, that she's a sinner. Now, there is a strong possibility that this woman was a prostitute, whoever she was. One thing is for sure, she was certainly not on the Pharisees' typical invite list. But she hears about Jesus, and no doubt his reputation of mercy and his reputation of power struck a chord with her. She grabs an alabaster flask of ointment as an offering, and she uses this dinner as an opportunity to get to the feet of Jesus. What's striking is Luke doesn't record any word spoken. She wets his feet with her tears and wipes them with her hair, and she kisses and anoints them. It's not till later in the passage that we see her tears are from her sadness over her own sin. Yes, she was known by others to be a sinner, but surely she knew her sin more than anyone else. She knew the guilt. She knew the burdens that she carried. She knows what she has done, and she knows the weight of it all. She is in a very religious area and no doubt has been told who she is and what she is worth in other people's eyes so many times. 
What's more is that she knows that salvation is only found in one person, Jesus Christ. And because of this simple truth, she is fueled by faith. She cannot stop worshiping this Jesus. I do want to highlight that she is fueled by faith. One does not do all of this if they do not believe. I mean, she took a big risk considering her reputation to come into the house of a Pharisee and sit at the feet of Jesus and do all that she is doing. Listen, she may not have had it all figured out, but she knew that Jesus was the place she could get mercy. She knew that Jesus was the one that had the grace that she so desperately needed. What we see here is a theme that Luke continues, and that is to highlight Jesus ministering and loving those society would overlook. She found mercy at the feet of Jesus. The door to her heart was wide open to Jesus by faith. She has found the one her heart needs. What should have been a moving sight for everyone in attendance. Instead, we see that some of them still have their hearts firmly closed. Verse 39, quote, Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. End quote. So the Pharisee is apparently named Simon. It was a very common name. Considering the thoughts in his mind, I'm not sure the words, Say it, teacher, were full of sincerity. Now, please see the humor of these verses. This Pharisee is thinking to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him. But since he is allowing her to touch him, he must not know. Therefore, he must not be a prophet. And then Jesus, who is more than a prophet, but not less than a prophet, hears every thought this Pharisee is thinking. Did you notice in verse 40? It said, And Jesus answering said to him, as in Jesus is saying words out loud in response to the thoughts going on in this Pharisee's head. Of course Jesus knows who this woman is. He knows who she is more than anyone else ever could. And of course, every thought Simon the Pharisee was having is known to Jesus. So in all of this scene, no matter how smart Simon feels like he might be, no matter how much he may think he has Jesus all figured out, in typical Jesus fashion, he's like, all right, it's story time. In this grace-filled moment, Jesus is going to give this man another opportunity to open the door to his heart. Starting in verse 41, quote, A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. End quote. So the Pharisee passed the test, at least the listening comprehension part of the test. It doesn't take a mathematician to see the one who owed 500 owed 10 times that of the one who owed 50. 500 is clearly far more than 50. But in one way, the amount doesn't really matter. Because what matters to both of these who owed money is that they could not pay. Now, if you are unable to pay your debt, the number of the debt matters less. Both were needy of grace. Grace was going to be the only way that things could turn out well for them. 
Mercy was their only hope. But in another way, the amounts matter so much because one amount inspired a greater amount of love than the other one did. As I read these verses, I couldn't help but picture a deep breath coming from Simon the Pharisee as he said, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled a larger debt. I do not think he understood that he is the man that owed 50, and that the woman was the one that owed 500 in this parable. I do not think he understands that he owes a debt before God that he has no hope of paying. In this case, however, the offer of grace is being offered to him, but he has not received it. We have to receive it. We have to open the door. We have to be fueled by faith to go turn the doorknob and open it up to Jesus. So Jesus here, because he loves this man, is going to continue pressing into the parable by applying it to this moment. Starting in verse 44. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, Her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. This woman who the Pharisee looked down upon, this woman who disgusted him, somehow understood the treasure before her with far greater clarity than the Pharisee did. Yes, her sins were many, and doesn't she know it? But look at the love that she has lavished upon Jesus. Her sins were great, but his grace was greater. What do you think it did inside this woman when she heard Jesus tell the Pharisee, Therefore I tell you her sins, which are many, are forgiven. As she worships at the feet of Jesus, maybe she thought, Did I hear that right? I'm forgiven? And just like that, verses 48 through 50 come to life. Quote, And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Jesus tells this woman, Whose sins were many, Your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Everyone in that Jewish world would have assumed this woman was too far gone. Too sinful, too dirty, too broken, too worldly, too hopeless to be saved. Maybe she thought that too. But Jesus boldly declares loudly for her and everyone else to hear that there is not a single person who is too far gone. If you come to Jesus in faith, looking for mercy, he will give you mercy. Do not let anyone tell you, and certainly don't let yourself tell you that you are too far for Jesus, that your sin has somehow too great for him to overcome. It does not matter how much sin is in you. I promise you there is more grace in Christ than sin in you. He came for the broken. He came for the sinner. Everyone there questions, who is this who even forgives sins? The Pharisees were often puzzled and, well, offended at this notion. They were well aware that only God can forgive sins, so anyone forgiving as Jesus did was blasphemy in their eyes. They could never wrap their minds around the idea that maybe, just maybe, this one who taught with authority, this one who did miracles like they had never seen, 
Maybe, just maybe, he is God in the flesh like he says that he is. Maybe he's the one the prophet spoke about from ages past, the one who God was promising would come to heal the brokenhearted. But there's another side to this that I think often gets left out. You see, God is perfectly just. He is the just judge. What he says, what he does is perfectly right all of the time. We do not have to understand how it is right or why it is right, but because he is perfectly just, it is right. In his omniscience, in his knowing every single thing, in his perfect perspective, in his perfect wisdom, he is able to see every iota, every detail of the universe, and is able to judge rightly what is good and what is not. And because he is perfectly just, The wrongs this woman has committed, and they are evidently many wrongs, they did not just vanish into thin air. They didn't stop existing. Since God is perfectly just, and praise God that He is perfectly just, her sins had to be answered for. They had to be paid for. You see, Jesus could say, Your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Because one, he is God in the flesh, but two, he is the one who's going to pay for her sins. The weight of her sins was taken off of her and placed on Jesus. If you go to a restaurant and you run up a bill and someone else takes that check, it still has to be paid even if you're not the one paying for it. Romans 5.8 in the Christian Standard Bible says this, quote, But God proves His own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. End quote. Jesus proved His own love for this woman in that even though she was a sinner, Jesus gladly died for her sins so that she could go in peace. You see, she had peace with God. Because Jesus, God's anointed, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, has said, I will take your sins from you. You see, this could have been the Pharisee's story too. But instead of humbling himself before the Savior, he looked down on those who did. He was stuck in his self-righteousness. You see, both the Pharisee and the woman were equally needy sinners in need of grace. But only one of them saw that in themselves. Only one was moved by faith and their need for mercy. Only one of them truly understood the nature of sin, and that was the woman not the teacher of the scriptures. Like I said at the beginning, Jesus is for everyone in whom faith is found. And what we see with this woman and what we see with this Pharisee is that every sin debt will be paid one way or the other. Either our sin debt will be transferred onto Jesus so that he will say, your sins are forgiven, your faith has saved you, go in peace. Or... We decide we will handle it our own way, like the Pharisee. And if we handle it our own way, eternity is hell. Eternity will be spent paying the sin debt. But we're not the righteous one. We can never fully pay it. Jesus stands at the door and knocks. Where will he find faith? Where will you look for mercy? Thanks for listening to the Steadfast Podcast. 
I want to remind you that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, Paul wrote this, quote, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain, end quote. So in light of biblical truth, let us be steadfast, immovable. Let us remember that through Jesus, not one labor is in vain, not one trial is in vain, not one effort in all of our lives is in vain. Because he gives purpose, and that purpose rings through eternity. That's all I've got for you today. Thank you so much for listening. And don't forget, if you've got questions you would like answered, you can email me at matt at steadfastpodcast.com.